0: Hello and welcome to The Art of Aging, part of the Abundant Aging podcast series from United Church Homes. On this show, we talk about what it means to age in America and in other places around the world with positive and empowering conversations that challenge, encourage, and inspire all to age with abundance. Our guest today is Michael Adams. Michael is the Chief Executive Officer of SAGE, the world's largest and oldest organization dedicated to improving the lives of LGBTQ older people. Founded in 1978 and headquartered in New York City, SAGE is a national organization that offers supportive services and consumer resources to LGBTQ older people and their caregivers, advocates for public policy changes that address the needs of LGBTQ elders provides education and technical assistance for aging providers and LGBTQ plus community organizations through its National Resource Center on LGBTQ plus aging. And it offers cultural competency training through SageCare. With staff located across the country, Sage also coordinates SageCollab, a flexible partnership model with collaborations nationwide. Prior to joining SAGE, Adams was the Director of Education and Public Affairs for Lambda Legal. Prior to that, he spent a decade leading cutting-edge litigation that established new rights for LGBTQ plus people. First as Associate Director of the ACLU's LGBTQ plus project, and then as Deputy Legal Director at Lambda Legal. A graduate of Stanford Law School and Harvard College, Adams has authored numerous publications on an array of LGBTQ issues. He has taught law school courses on sexual orientation and gender identity and has served on advisory councils for AARP, Fortune 500 companies, leading universities, and the New York City Department for Aging, among others. Adams is the former chair of the board of directors of the American Society on Aging. Welcome, Michael.
1: Thank you, Beth. It's really great to be here. I'm looking forward to our conversation today.
0: Absolutely. So, let's start with your personal story. How is it that you have come to SAGE? And how long have you been with this organization?
1: Well, I've been with SAGE for a long time. I'm actually in my 18th year as head of the organization. And I would say that my connection to SAGE, maybe. My love affair with sage has has three chapters to it. When I was quite young, when I was in my early twenties, I was the first time I got exposed to sage. I was in the I was visiting New York City at the Pride Parade when I saw the sage bus go by with all the <laughs> elders on it. And as a young gay man, I I just until then had no concept of the no of what it could be like if it were like to be an old gay person. And so seeing all those sages on that bus really caught my attention. And then fast forward, I guess almost 25 years later, back in 2006, when I was contacted about applying to take the job, leading the organization. And at that time, I was really drawn to the mission because my grandmother, who I was very close to, was, was quite sick and, and was failing. And she had a big family, our family. Mm-hmm surrounding her and supporting her. And it was still hard. And uh, it made me think a lot about what it must be like for so many folks in our community aging without that kind of support. And then now, you know, my 18th year on the job, I'm in, I'm in my sixties now. And the work of Sage has become much more personal to me as I start to experience my own aging. So just a little bit about my kind of sense of connection to our, to Sage's cause.
0: Absolutely. Thanks. I was asked a question recently, and when I gave them what I thought was the correct answer, they're like, no, it stands for something. Does SAGE stand for anything anymore? I I think it used to, but I think you abandoned that association. Is that right?
1: That's right. It, It no longer is an acronym. Way back when we got started back in 1978, SAGE stood for Senior Action in a Gay Environment. And we went through a couple of permutations and acronyms. And then probably about eight or so years ago, we realized that the word SAGE was enough. It's emblematic of really the spirit of our organization, which is that we celebrate and embrace and support the wisdom of LGBTQ plus elders. So now we are just SAGE.
0: I had the right answer. They didn't and like that's it. Right, and I'm, I'm glad that I was wouldn't. up on that. So... One of the things that's near and dear to our hearts here at United Church Homes is Sage Care. Do you want to talk about that program and how that's going, how it got started, and what are your goals for Sage Care?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, Sage Care is a program that focuses on providing training and technical assistance and a variety of supports to long term care providers, elder care providers, elder service providers who are working with LGBTQ plus older adults, as frankly all care providers are, whether they realize <laughs> it, focus on it or not. And the program emerges out of our experience and conversations with many thousands of elders from LGBTQ plus communities across the country who often have talked with us about how extremely difficult and painful they found the long-term care experience, feeling unwelcomed, unrecognized, not understood. And in fact, many of our elders have told us that they have felt forced to recloset themselves in order to avoid the to mistreatment or the fear of mistreatment in care. And so we started Sage Care as a training program with the goal of providing care providers with the information, with the tools, with the knowledge that they need to do a good job and a respectful job when working with and providing care with LGBTQ plus older adults. And so we work in partnership with providers. We, we really are excited as we see providers progress in, in their knowledge and their understanding of working with elders from our community. And we provide a form of recognition for, for providers that make this commitment in the form of what we call a credential, a sage care. Credentials. So, in a nutshell, that's what Sage Care is about.
0: It's been really important for us at United Church Homes, and it's based on a couple of things, but part of it is the percentage of our employees who have participated in, in the educational opportunities each year. Um, and when we first started on the were earnestly on this education track and connected with SageCare, one of our administrators called me up and she said, oh my gosh, Beth, everything they're talking about, I can tell you is happening. You know, she could tell, right. she 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 talked about the story about somebody who had come back in the closet. She talked about the story of a trans resident and the challenges they were having with staff caring for them. and And it was nice to have almost immediate feedback that, yeah, this is really important for us to be aware of in order to care that's for
1: these great. That's great. That's great to hear.
0: Yeah. And then I was really excited when probably 2017, I think, and, um, Leading Age had printed an article that said SAGE and Leading Age and HRC are going to be developing a long-term care equality index. And and uh, at the time, your staff person, Tim Johnston, when I talked to him about it, he's like, yes, and it's not going to happen real fast. So do you want to talk about what is the Long-Term Care Equality Index? And how does, and then we could talk a little bit about how does that connect with Sage Care?
1: Sure. So the Long-Term Care Equality Index was um, started several years ago as a project of Of Sage and the Human Rights Campaign Foundation or HRC with support from Leading Age to create a series of very transparent and public best practices that can be used to measure the how providers are doing in terms of their work and care with and for LGBTQ plus over adults. And it provides a series of measures to score providers on, on the progress they are making or not make it. And this, and so each provider, a provider has to sign up and agree to participate in the long-term care equality index, and then they self-score on a whole series of measures. And then those that scoring, that self-scoring is then confirmed or verified. And then the scores are shared in a public report. That comes out every other year in which we show what providers across the country are doing in terms of how they are working effectively with LGBTQ plus older adults, where they've made progress, where they still need to make progress. And this is both an educational tool for the providers, but it's also very helpful to LGBTQ plus older adults and their caregivers who need to actually find care facilities. Or their loved ones, for themselves, and can use the LEI as a consumer guide, essentially to choose uh, facilities that are really making the effort to provide respectful and welcoming and welcoming care.
0: Yeah, we I can remember a conversation with one of our chaplains who has joined us probably about 2016, and United Church Homes is in covenant with the United Church of Christ and had already kind of done the work, the board had decided that we would become an open and affirming um, agency organization. So we already had that distinction within denomination. And this chaplain um, said to me that he knew that, but he was also interested. And so he had gone to the HRC's website. And at that time, there was the Healthcare Equality Index. Mm -hmm. He said, you're not included in the Healthcare Equality Index. We said, well, we don't really fit the health care equality index. But he was looking at it not from a standpoint of someone who's seeking care, but as a potential employee. And he was looking for that verification that, yeah, we weren't just saying this to say it, but that that we were kind of putting our, our money where our mouth is, making sure that we were, you know, really working on best practices
1: that's an interesting point. And I think that, you know, that this also, the long-term care equality index is certainly a good resource for employees who are considering where to work. And I'm glad that you mentioned the healthcare equality index because the long-term care equality index is based on the healthcare equality index, but obviously adapted to the particular circumstances of the elder care sector. And this is why the partnership between Sage and, HRC is so important because, of course, SAGE brings all the experience and expertise of working in the aging sector, and HRC brings that prior experience of, of these indexes. So when you bring our two organizations together, it's really a great partnership that puts together all the kind of expertise that's needed to have a really great index project.
0: Yeah. And I had the privilege of serving on that advisory um, committee yes, that helped me in, in, in the process. And yeah, and I think some of the staff from HRC were a little surprised that they couldn't just easily flip the healthcare equality index, that there are a whole host of differences in both regulations that we have to follow, that hospital systems don't have to follow, in addition to the fact that organizations like united church homes you know of our 90 communities you know 10 maybe have healthcare components to them and the rest are various components of housing and so one of the pieces that had to be decided along the way was okay we're going to go ahead and include housing and recognize that there's some questions that just aren't going to be applicable for housing, but mm-hmm. still, we have our, our staff and our housing communities participate in it as well.
1: That's great. You know, and, and this is why, too, something you referenced earlier, Beth, it took us a while to get the LEI off the ground for just what the reasons you're describing, because we had to work through the particularities of long-term care and, and elder care. And we really needed to make sure that the index was something that reflected the sector that reflected the industry and the, and the providers could could relate to and feel that it was reflective of, in fact, the way that they do the work. And so it took us a while to get it off the ground, but we are really happy with the launch. We had 200 um, long-term care providers participate in the initial LEI report last year. That's a great start. When the Healthcare Quality Index got started, it had less than 100. Not that we're competitive, but it just gives <laughs> us a, ben- a benchmark to know that's a good number to start with.
0: Well, and the launch was happening during the pandemic, which, you know, was probably one of the roughest periods of history for those of us in long-term care. And, and, and I know that that also helped to slow things down a bit and, um, and, and continuing to recognize that as we come out of this, there are still some other, pretty significant realities that folks who provide long-term care are having to face because we have not yet fully recovered from the pre-pandemic. So, For sure. yeah, sure. yeah. How can we get other folks to, to participate in, well, first of all, before you get there, the Sage Care and the LEI. So those are two separate processes. And, and how do you see those working together going forward?
1: Well, they very much work together because the you know the LEI is measuring how effective providers are on a variety of kinds of activities in working effectively and respectfully with LGBTQ plus older adults. Um, many providers, I would say, most providers have room for improvement because this is a relatively new area of focus for providers, and so. The training and technical assistance that SageCare provides is one means, not the only means, but one means that providers can utilize to build up the experience and the knowledge they need to keep on improving and therefore get a better score on the LEI. So that's how the two are interconnected.
0: Yeah. So we started then, as I mentioned, doing SageCare and then participating in the LEI and Actually, that set us, set us up very well. There were still things, Actually, there still yeah. are things that we need to improve. Three of our communities are not in the leader category. Sure, the one thing that we have to do, regardless of everything else that could be improved, is we don't have gender-neutral bathrooms in public very areas nice. in these buildings, which were built in the 60s with cinder block walls, walls. And, yes. and whatnot. So we're working on trying to figure out how to... Take care of some of those more substantial infrastructure pieces.
1: But, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm glad you, you mentioned um, that, Beth, because within the LEI, there are different levels of accomplishment, basically, or progress that providers have made, leader being one of the categories. And we recognize that it's not possible for every facility, for every provider to be in the same place because there are different sets of circumstances. And, and some of them are, are, are literally physical, or is the way a building is built. And there are others as well. So what the LEI does is provide a roadmap um, to, to help support providers on their journey to get to the strongest possible place in terms of working effectively and respectfully with LGBTQ plus elders.
0: So how, what are your thoughts? How, what do we need to do to have others participate in both sage care and the LEI going forward?
1: Well, I think, you know, a a big part of it is awareness. And this is one of the things that really fortunately has changed a great deal, I would say, over the last 10 or 15 years. You know, it used to be that when Sage would reach out and contact an elder care or elder service provider and talk with them about providing training, etc., very often the response that we received was, oh, we don't have people like that here. And of course, that wasn't reflective of realities. It, it, it may have reflected the reality with the people that they had within their community who were LGBTQ plus were closeted, but it's not that they weren't there. I think we've come a long way in terms of a growing awareness on the part of providers of the existence of LGBTQ plus elders, the fact that we are in every community of every sort across this country. And so now it's really important to build, continue building awareness of that, but also to build awareness of the fact that there are concrete steps we can take in, as providers in order to do a better job and that there are resources out there to support providers in making that progress. And SageCare and the LAI are are among them. And so one of the things that we're really excited about is when we see um, Sage Care participants and LEI participants publicizing yeah. in any way, talking publicly about what they're doing, whether it's at their conferences, whether it's with their stakeholders, whether it's in the media, to keep on putting that spotlight on this work. Because at the end of the day, it's about something really simple. It's simply about ensuring that every human being who happens to be aging as an LGBTQ plus person has the care and support and respect they need. And so if we keep on building that conversation and building that spotlight and helping providers get the resources they need, we're gonna make great progress.
0: Yeah, we did a workshop for Leading Age Ohio several years ago. And what it was really interesting, there was one woman who attended the workshop. She's the executive director of of another community here in Ohio. And afterwards, she came up to me and she said, I came to the workshop and I thought, why am I coming to the workshop? We're doing this in our community. They live in an area that has a, a very progressive, active college campus. And so a lot of retired professors and folks who are LGBTQ and pout. And so they've been doing the education. And she said at the end, she said, okay, now I get it. This isn't something that we can do once and check off. Yep. It, is, it is an ongoing practice because of the education that we have to do with staff and staff leave and staff retire. And then you have new folks coming in and um, it, it's just, it's, it is a long-term ongoing commitment. Um,
1: it absolutely is. It absolutely is. And that's why it's, you know, for, you know, we love partnering with many different providers and we encourage folks to start wherever they can start, but we always emphasize that it is an ongoing commitment. You know, a provider cannot train for one year and then stop and think what they've accomplished what needs to be accomplished for just the reasons that you said. This is a, this is a permanent commitment to continually build the competency and understanding and, and knowledge of every person that works in that particular community.
0: The other interesting thing about that workshop is we had a member of the board, we had an administrator who had experience with um, residents and staff, myself and our vice president of HR. And at the end of the workshop, it was the vice president of HR who had people lined up because we could say anecdotally and we're still, we're still in the process of gathering some of these figures but we know anecdotally particularly in in some key communities people are attracted to to apply and come work for us because we have this commitment because they want to bring their authentic selves to work it's not just about caring for residents it's about caring for, for the staff and everyone in the community.
1: I think that's such an interesting observation, Beth, and, and it's interesting that certainly is true, right, for LGBTQ plus folks who are interested in working in the long-term care sector, that providers, communities that have made this commitment are going to be attractive to LGBTQ plus employees. But it's not just members of our community. I've had conversations with with heads of um, different large-term care communities across the country who have observed that they find that it attracts many other kinds of employees as well, people who have had, who have, or have had loved ones who are members of the LGBTQ plus community and see how they are mistreated sometimes and really want to work and support some place that, that operates in a better way, right? And people who are hoping to work within a community that looks like the kind of community they would like to live in as they age. And so it, it's a win on so many friends, which is really encouraging.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I've had people stop by my office after they come to work here. And you know, one person said, you know, when I found out about what you're doing with the LGBTQ plus community, I knew I wanted to work here because my first husband is gay and he's the mm. father of our children. Mm-hmm. And I know that through my children, they're going to be accompanying him as he ages. And this is something I think I need to know more about. And, and someone else said, you know, I want to work here because I have a niece who's a lesbian. And I just, I want to be able to, with pride, say that I work someplace that that is respectful of who you are, even though she's not, you know, looking to be employed by us or whatnot. The other thing is we've had... And this has been part of the, you know, part of the concern. Oh, my gosh, once you do this, then your community is just going to turn into being LGBTQ plus people and it's going to be alienating to everyone else. And it's like, no. What we've seen are, for instance, the woman who, about a month after she moved into the community, went into the chaplain's office and sat down and closed the door and she said, OK, I live here now. You're now my pastor. You need to know my story. And she proceeded for the next hour telling her life story. And at the end, what what she was really getting to is she had moved from another community. And um, she moved to our community because her youngest son is gay. And he is the one who's going to be predominantly her care Mm -hmm. provider, her um, caregiver. And in the previous community where she lived, he did not feel safe walking in that building.
1: Yeah. And yep. she
0: said, as soon as I saw that sticker, that rainbow sticker on the door, and I knew that my son can walk in here and be safe, I knew this is where I wanted to live. I had ca- to kind of call mm. it the outing of the parents. You know, That's and, cool and I, say, I say, we want people at the dinner table, everyone to be able to talk about all of their children and all of their grandchildren mm. and not to feel that they're going to be bullied or have to defend. And and that does happen. It's not perfect. But at least they know organizationally they've got the organization behind them that, that can help support them in setting that culture.
1: I so appreciate you sharing that story, Beth. And what it makes me think about is the reality that the vast majority of Americans know somebody, have somebody close to them who is LGBTQ+, either a family member, a close friend, a neighbor. And that means that the vast majority of Americans actually care about LGBTQ people and want to see us treated decently and with respect, including as we age. So this isn't about creating some exclusive community at all. It's about creating a community where all of us can see that no matter who you are, no matter who you love, you're going to be supported and celebrated and respected as you age. And I mean, that's a com- the kind of community that most people in our country would like to live in as they get older.
0: Yeah. So other phone calls that I get are from folks who are associated with other organizations. And there, there's one individual in Colorado, and she had heard about what we're doing. And we had a couple conversations. And she said, I'm volunteering in this organization. And we've got residents who, who are out and, and, and they have a support group and they want to be doing more and how do we get our organization to do what you're doing To kind of doing some investigation and, and some deeper conversation with her come to find out it's a faith-based organization and it is very much affiliated as in I think everyone on the board has to be a member of that denomination mm. and once I heard her name the denomination I said <laughs> theologically, I think you're going to have a, a really tough time convincing that board that this is what you need to do. What, what has been your experience in these conversations with other faith, faith-based institutions?
1: Yeah, so this is a complicated topic. I mean, you know, we have many faith-based, provi- faith-based providers in the elder care sector. And, of course, we have denominations and, and non-denominational providers who are very welcoming of LGBTQ plus people, and we have others who are not, and, and they're not for theological reasons. And we have a lot of work to do, frankly, in this space. We have had circumstances the which Sage has been directly involved in which older members of our community have been denied access to, um, in some cases, what is more or less the only affordable elder care provider in their community for for these kinds of reasons, because in one case in uh, in St. Louis, it was an older lesbian couple who were denied access to a faith-based provider because the provider refused to recognize their relationship and said that they only that they would only recognize couples in biblical so-called biblical marriage relationships. And so we have a lot of work to do, and and this is some work that Sage is starting to develop now in terms of how can we build. Dialogue and build bridges of conversation that lead to a space in which a provider, a faith-based provider can, can not give up its religious beliefs and still at the same time, uh, recognize that it will have LGBTQ plus older people within its community and that There there has to be a way, and we believe there is a way, in which every provider in this country can provide an elder in their care with the support and care and respect that they need as they age. And that the reason why all of us work in elder care and elder services is because that's what we're trying to do. And so we have these conversations with different providers with with employees within different providers on an ongoing basis but there is a lot of work to be done in this area and i think an important part of what needs to happen is that we have to build conversation build bridges you know we live within an extremely polarized country and polarization and not talking with each other is not going to solve this problem, it's going to result in elders who need care not getting the care they need. So at SAGE, we are looking at how can we build more conversation and how can we help as many faith-based providers as possible in this country, help them provide LGBTQ plus elders with the care that, that we all deserve as human beings in our old age.
0: Yeah, absolutely you know how do we get beyond the litmus test of the theological stance of a person's faith tradition and take a step back and you know we know that in order for folks to age abundantly that's what we like to say for people to thrive they need to know that they have meaning and purpose they need to be able to feel safe and that's both physically and psychologically and spiritually and i and you know from what i have learned on this journey there are aspects of life experienced by those of you in the lgbt community throughout your lifetime that i have not experienced of having, not had to face but it is really important for me to understand those historical contexts so that when individuals come into our community, I have that in my background it, th- that are more important than the, the biases and the stereotypes that I might have. And then I can really listen to the individual to be able to meet their needs and know what do we need to do to make this feel like it is your home.
1: And, and that's what i try
0: to do to every resident.
1: And it's so essential And also essential at a very human level to understand the human cost if you do not make that effort. And I think about an elderly lesbian who was actually Sage's oldest constituent in New York City until she died last summer at the age of 105. And her name is Jerry Calvis, and Jerry had lived on her own, actually, until she was 100 years old. At the age of 100, she went into a facility that was actually you know, run by an organization that comes from her religious community and culture. And actually, interestingly, it's an organization that had done some important work to, <laughs> to become more LGBTQ welcoming. The challenge was that Jerry had grown up in an environment in which who she was as a lesbian was not accepted. In fact, Jerry's birth name was Emma. And as an adult, she took on the name Jerry because she felt that it expressed more of who she was. And so after she ended up in, in this long term care community, I heard that she was feeling very depressed and very alone. And I went and I met with her and she, and I asked her, what was going on? And she said, you know, and I I actually referred to her as Jerry. And she said, please, you can only call me Emma here. I don't feel safe being called Jerry. And I'm sad because I miss being in a community that accepts me for who I am. And in that particular circumstance, Jerry had been part of Sage programs in New York city. And we arranged periodically to You know, take her. You know, take her and and medicalized transport to Sage on a number of occasions for gatherings, which lifted her spirits. But we shouldn't have to do that, right? We need to ensure that every environment is one where somebody like Jerry can feel supported and respected and cared for for who they are, and not be hiding and not be fearful at that age of life. Uh, And I believe. That should be the commitment that every care provider that every care provider makes and we have work to do to help providers live into that responsibility
0: absolutely and it's a challenge every day <laughs> um, yeah. because it depends you know there's so many different people who interact with the with our residents and that's again why the educational piece is so important yes you know statistics research shows that those folks who are closeted or go back into the closet their quality of life is, is, is jeopardized. Their physical health is jeopardized. And I can tell you anecdotally within our own family, three brothers yeah. and the two heterosexual brothers lived into their 90s and I, barely into 90s, but in their 90s. And their brother, who was closeted gay man, died at 75.
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, it's just the reality. It is very difficult to live a long and healthy life when you feel forced to hide a part of yourself and to make believe that you're something that you're not and often it ends up translating into a whole variety of challenges mental health issues substance abuse issues which among other things shorten your life
0: so What are some of those elements that 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 are needed in the physical as well as the cultural environments in order for LGBTQ folks to feel safe or included or that they can be authentic? What are those basic elements that we need to have to alert people?
1: Well, you know, as you know, Beth, the Sage Care program and the long term care equality index have very a whole array, right, of extensive Guidelines and, and approaches to this work, but I think to simplify it in a way, it's the fundamentally, in many ways, it is the message that gets delivered to an older person who is LGBTQ plus when they come into contact with a long term care and elder care community, and what has happened historically is that. The message that most LGBTQ plus elders receive is that they should hide who they are in this community because they see no evidence, but this community is welcoming to them. They see no evidence, but this is a community that has them in mind. So some of the things that can be done that make that different are really not that complicated. I things as simple as putting a rainbow sticker on a wall or on a door. I was talking to a a longtime SAGE supporter a couple of weeks ago who is looking at assisted living and is going around and looking at several different assisted living communities. And we were having a conversation and he talked about the community that he eventually chose. And he said that when he went into the office, into the reception area that he saw a rainbow sticker on the door and he said, my shoulders went down, you know, that he was able to relax because that one simple thing, right. Delivered such an important message to him. Not that this is a perfect community, no community is perfect, but this is a community that is trying to be welcoming to me. So things as simple. As those kinds of visible markers of rainbow flags, rainbow stickers, you know, the the sage care credential, what kind of literature you have on a table, what kind of magazines and, and newspapers and things like that do you have? Do any of them reflect the lives and realities of LGBTQ plus people? What kind of pictures you have on the walls? Does it just show different sex couples and traditional heterosexual families, or does it actually show folks who are LGBTQ plus as well? All these visible cues. That's the first step in a way, because that is what somebody sees and takes in before they have much of any experience, right? With the staff person, with the activities, et cetera. It's what they see, what they see, if they go to your website, um, what they see, if they are asked to fill out some kind of a form, whether the form presumes, makes assumptions about who they are that don't match their lives. For example, if a person is transgender and there is no opportunity on that form to indicate that, if a person has a partner or a spouse of the same gender and there is no opportunity on the form to reflect that, right? So all of these basic things that are really not that difficult to change if the will is there that make a huge difference for LGBTQ plus older people in terms of their initial perceptions. And then in addition, as you know, because you all have been through Sage care and are involved in the eye, then there are a whole series of practices in terms of activities that can be undertaken within the organization, policy anti-discrimination policies that should be put in place, different kinds of trainings for employees, the importance of ensuring that all employees are trained we should recall remember right that every person that works for the community that comes interaction with the, in into contact with the resident impacts their life every person from the driver of the van uh, to the person who was cleaning their room to the person who was serving food uh, it's, it's not just a select group of employees so it, it's a you know once we once we drill down into the specifics, there are a lot of different kinds of things we have to look at, but it really starts with what are the story, what is the story that your community is telling to LGBTQ plus elders when they first come into contact with you in that very visceral and visible way?
0: Just a quick story from our experience, this is part of a larger, more complex story, but a woman was brought into one of our communities directly to a memory care neighborhood, and she was having a rough time. I mean, she was obviously angry and frustrated, and there may have involved throwing a glass of juice at a staff member. And one of the nurse's aides came in the afternoon, and she kind of stepped back and was observing and heard what people had said. And she just kind of had an intuition. There was only one person listed on this person's medical record. It was a woman. Um, And so she went and got our our, um, magazine that we publish. And on the back of the magazine and on every edition, there's a little rainbow comma, which is a symbol with the United Church of Christ. And she grabbed one of those because it was close. I mean, we're talking a little rainbow Mm. comma. And she held it up to this woman, and she said, you're safe here. Do you see this? You're safe here. And she looked at that, and she said, I'm safe here. And she said, yeah, do you see that rainbow? You're safe here. She didn't out her. She didn't, you know, she just thought there's no harm in just pointing this out. And that was enough to calm her. And, you know, however many other staff had been in her presence that day, that little symbol brought to her mm-hmm. attention this is what, all she needed. Wow. So, yeah. wow. Yeah. it's a great story. So where do you see hope? We've come a long way over the last 20 years, 18 years since you've been at Sage. We have a long way to go. But where do you see hope? Because there's a lot of fear right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of tough stuff going on in our society, in our country, and there's a lot of fear. And at the same time, I see tremendous hope, and certainly in the work that we're doing and in the, in the opportunities for LGBTQ plus elders. We have made a great deal of progress in terms of the awareness and the openness providers and elder care communities to working with and respecting LGBTQ plus elders. There's a great deal of interest in programs like Sage Care and the Long-Term Care Equality Index. And that just is growing all the time. And so that gives me a lot of hope. At the same time, you know, we are realistic and we recognize sadly, there are forces in this country that are seeking to make lgbtq plus people and issues some kind of a cultural wedge some kind of a political weapon some kind of way of whipping up hope and fear and and resentment that sadly is part of the society in which we live but we are optimistic at sage that we can overcome that because fundamentally at the end of the day we're talking about human beings And we're talking in the case of SAGE, of human beings who've lived their entire lives, who've worked hard, who've made tremendous contributions to their community. And all they are really asking for in their old age is that they be treated with respect and that they get the same kind of dignity and support and recognition that every other older person in this country gets. And I just have to believe that this country is big enough and open-hearted enough to meet that and to meet that commitment. And so I'm hopeful and we at Sage are hopeful. Thank you.
0: Thank you. We could talk for a very long time.
1: Yes, we could.
0: But, and we will have other conversations, I'm sure. But I'm aware that we probably need to bring this to a close. So there's one thing that we like to do as we come to the end of our podcast, ask our guests questions about your own perspectives on aging. So are you ready?
1: Sure, go for it. Okay,
0: before I do that, I do, because we don't want to forget, where can people
1: find you? Best way to find Sage is uh, sageusa.org, which is our website, or just SageUSA on our various social media channels, you know, Instagram, Facebook, etc. cetera.
0: Okay. So, ready? Question number one. When you think about how you've aged, what do you think has changed about you or grown with you that you really like about yourself?
1: I think maybe the thing that's grown in me that I really like is that I've developed much more of an appreciation for the nuance and complexity of life you know when i was younger i tended to see things much more in black and white my 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 husband who is presbyterian tells me but that was my catholic upbringing that that i don't know if that's really the case but it is true that i used to see things in 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 much more binary ways one or the other and i've just come to understand over life that often things are a lot more complicated and nuanced than that
0: Thank you. Now, question number two. What has surprised you most about you
1: as you've aged? I think that what maybe one of the things that surprised me, and I kind of got a sense of this during COVID, but I continue to get a sense of it as we're emerging from it, is I've been really surprised as I get older and how much joy and peace I find and being at home, whether it's alone or with my partner, and not doing anything, just chilling out. I'm a very energetic person and I've always been somebody who's always on the move and always doing something and a long list of things to do next. And I'm just so surprised to see how happy it can make me sometimes to do nothing. And so that's been a real, that's been a real revelation for me. And I think it's kind of convenient since I do believe that there is some value in slowing down a little bit from time to time as we get older.
0: Yeah, there, I, I can't remember who, who it is that talks about this, but that one of the changes that happens between adulthood and moving into elderhood is a moving away from the feeling that we have to do and then mm-hmm. being able to be and mm-hmm. understanding the importance yes. of being. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Last question, number three. Is there someone you've met or who has been in your life that has set a good example for you in aging, someone that inspires you to age abundantly?
1: Well, I only met her one time, but I feel like I've met her many times because I've been a huge fan and she's definitely my role model in in getting old and getting older. And that's Joan Baez. I'm just mesmerized by how how she has aged in such a beautiful way and just become, you know, I don't know. I just feel like, you know, wiser and more full of light with every year. I just... I've always loved her music, but I just saw a documentary about her life that was made just a couple of years ago. I think she's 82 years old now. And I thought, yeah, this is what I want to do as I get older. So she's my role model in that regard.
0: And that's how you know well, when you have an abundant aging influencer, when you say, I want to be like that person when I'm their age. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you, Michael, and our listeners for listening to this episode of The Art of Aging, part of the Abundant Aging podcast series from United Church Homes. And we want to hear from you. What's changed about you as you've aged that you love? What has surprised you most? And how do you define abundant aging and who is your abundant aging influencer or hero? Join us at www.abundantagingpodcast.com to share your ideas. You can also give us feedback when you visit the Ruth Frost Parker Center website at www.unitedchurchhomes.org backslash Parker-Center. And Michael, tell us one more time, where can people find you?
1: www.sageusa.org
0: Thank you very much for your time. And this has just been lovely.
1: That's been great. Thank you so much, Beth.